0: Hey everyone, welcome back to to Apologetics. I'm super pumped to join us today to have Apologetics Squared we're gonna be breaking down the argument from psychophysical harmony. So squared, what's up, man? How are you?
1: Hello, I'm I'm doing adequate. How about you?
0: <laughs> adequate. I, I feel like that's something like when I ask people how they are, I, I never really hear adequate. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying good.
1: to I'm... I'm trying to bring it into style, you know? If more, more people should say <laughs> adequate when asked how are you?
0: What the cool kids do. So I'm psyched for today. I'm really excited to look at the argument from psychophysical harmony because, like, podcasts like this are slowly helping me to get my mind around it. You asked me before, like, how comfortable am I with it, and I'm like, eh, like, I'm like, not really, but like, I can, I can get the gist of it and stuff like that. So, yeah, Squared, what do you want to say about this um, before we get rolling?
1: <laughs> well, well, my general attitude for this argument is like, okay, you could think of like the Kalam or. Uh, maybe moral arguments, like they're a nudge towards theism and then you have other arguments that push against and you kind of got to balance them out um, to see where you land. But the argument from psychophysical harmony, if it works, it is it is way stronger than it has any right to be. It it, it would just kind of completely blows uh, every other argument out of the water in terms of its strength, as far as I could tell right now. So the, my general uh, attitude towards this is like, Hey, we've popularized like the Christian apologetics community. We've popularized really complicated arguments before, like the modal ontological argument. So we gotta start po- focusing on popularizing this one, because like if it fails, we need to we need to figure out how it fails and like go from there. But if it succeeds, then like I mean, do we do we need other arguments? It's, it's pretty powerful. Like have I have I mentioned that it's powerful? Yeah, I think I mentioned that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, a,
0: that's kind of, kind of vibe that. I've gotten. From like psychophysical yeah. like harmony is like people are like, Well, the ejections here, they're like, they're not really that good. And like there's an argument here, but for a lot of people, like it's really hard to get their mind exactly like what is the argument. Um, yeah, that's that. So where do you want to start this off, Squared?
1: Uh my do you wanna start uh sharing my screen or sharing? Yeah, yeah window? Sure.
0: Okay, here it is.
1: Yeah. yeah, this is probably like the first um oh here. Wave. As <laughs> uh, this is me kind of unveiling this for the first time. i I, I um, in a, over the course of a couple of days, I coded up this like little animation studio for me to present things. So let's see how this goes. But yes, the mediocre, uh, mediocre apologist's return. Me and Zach, this time with psychophysical harmony. Um, uh, side note, I, I'm I'm continu- counting this as a continuation of the mediocre apologist series because. I think this argument uh, from Psychophysical Harmony replaces the fine-tuning argument. So, yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, where I want to start is... Hold on. going to take some time for me to walk over there. Slowly. Wait.
0: Which is interesting. <laughs> I love how you talked about how it kind of like is like replacing the fine-tuning argument. Because we did a big long stream with a lot of slides about the fine-tuning argument. As we yes. into Psychophysical Harmony.
1: And um, James Fedor talked about the electrons and love objection to the fine-tuning argument. And, like, that was on my list of things to, like, look into, but I didn't really, like, grasp how powerful it was. But basically, the uh, uh, argument from Electrons and Love is, like, hey, you uh, you can't run the fine-tuning argument until you take into account psychophysical laws. And the argument from Psychophysical Harmony is, like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's take into account psychophysical (laughs) laws. Um, So, anyways, where I want to start is... Uh, how, I, how this argument works is the, the, the baseline epistemology for this, at the most fundamental level, is that if we want to like give evidence for a theory, we have to find verified predictions of your theory. Your theory predicts something, then you find that thing out in the world, your, the, uh, your prediction is verified, okay, that's evidence for your theory. And uh, we've covered this uh, previously, that theism's predictions are good things. Okay, so that, that's the starting point the uh, the next step is that when we talk about predictions we're, we're talking probabilistically uh we're, we're speaking probabilistically so if i say that my theory predicts x that means that the probability that you would find x if my theory were true is high so if my theory were true the probability of x would be high that's the same as saying my theory predicts x all pretty standard bayesian argument stuff so far Now, uh, here's the, uh, where things get a little bit harder to wrap your head around. Um, when we talk about like probabilistic reasoning, you're usually thinking about stuff like the flip of a coin or the roll of a dice. Right. But there are other scenarios where you could talk about, um, probability as well, probabilistic reasoning. And we have gone over this in, uh, when we talked about fine tuning arguments, but I'm going to go over it again. For example, the, um, digits of pi, uh, or water is H2O. These are things that have to be the way they are, okay? So it sounds kind of weird to talk about reasoning probabilistically about these things, but I think we can. Uh, for example, um, Zach, do you know what the billionth digit of pi is? Four. Really? You know that? Oh.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm just guessing.
1: Oh, you're guessing. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, what's the probability that you think that your guess is correct? Now, you might think... think... Oh, Go.
0: I mean, I was going to say 1 in 10 would be right.
1: Yes. I I think that's the correct way of thinking about this. You might think that, um, you you might say, uh, oh, the probability is either 100% because it's necessitated by mathematics or it's 0% because some other digit is necessitated by mathematics. But until we actually look it up or calculate it, um, we don't know what the probability is. And that's, I think... I understand what that sort of reasoning is getting at, but I think it's also valid to th- say, hey, every digit is equally as probable as far as I'm concerned. As far as I can tell, any digit is just as probable as any other digit. So the probability as far as I'm concerned is 1 in 10. And this isn't um, what, uh, this isn't the same kind of probability as what we're talking about with uh, coin flips and dice rolls arguably this is what would be called epistemic probability it's probability that's concerned about an agent's judgments or the confidence of an agent in some uh some proposition does that make sense yeah
0: so when you're like what you're saying is like we can look at like things that are necessary and like still like say that like there's still like a chance um like like there's some probability here that like we could reason with so we're not just gonna say like oh it's just necessary. Um, Mm-hmm. god exists or god, god doesn't exist like obviously one of those is the case in the same way that like the millionth digit of pi like or the billionth digit um like there is some sort of necessary explanation but we can still like say like hey there's a one in ten chance it's it's four um uh, before we kind of like examine things
1: mm-hmm. um yes uh there's uh, there's other scenarios where this yes that, that's right there's other scenarios where this pops up as well like in science like um what it, we could think about the statement water is h2o now I'm I'm very confident of this fact. I think the, uh, the my epistemic probability in this is roughly 100%. Uh, like I assign rough uh, probability of roughly 100% that water is H2O. Um, however, this wasn't always the case, right? Scientists had to actually like discover this. So there was mm-hmm. uh, there was one once upon a time. If you put, I gave a scientist the statement water is H2O, they went, they'd either not understand it or they would assign a low probability to it because there had yet to be any experiments to verify it. But then after experiments showed like, hey, we could break up water into two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, stuff like that. Okay, well, then the uh, probability that they would assign to that proposition goes up. So this is actually Mm -hmm. kind of just like the common sense sort of reasoning, even though the the water is H2O, right? It like the, the actual probability of this fact is 100%. Or you might say the metaphysical probability of this is one hundred percent, but our epistemic prob- or the epistemic probability that we assign to it would be less than one hundred percent, very small prior to experimentation, and then it shoots up really quickly when we do some experiments that verify this.
0: Mm-hmm. So you can have epistemic credences that are like less than one and like leaning towards something, even about like necessary truths, with the probability of them actually occurring
1: in the world is, is one. Yes. Um, yeah, and that, that, that sort of thing happens all the time. So basically, this is the thing that you need to be really comfortable with for the argument from psychophysical harmony to make sense. You have to be really comfortable for talking about the probabilities of things that actually had to be the way they are, or uh, things that we just don't really understand the nature of them. Uh, maybe, like, uh, what would be a good analogy? Maybe somebody doesn't realize that... Um, they're not like big into mathematics, so they don't understand that the digits of pi um, are necessary. They they don't understand how the digits of pi actually follow from the axioms of mathematics. So, so that it's all kind of just vague and mysterious to them. Well, they can still say the probability that the billionth digit of pi is one in uh, or that it's four is one in ten. So it what I'm trying to get at there is that it could, might be necessity or it might just be mysterious. Right. Uh huh. And th- that's another time when epistemic probabilities come into play. Necessity or mystery. And like, uh, basically, where we can't see um, the answer.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that's helpful.
1: Okay. I'm just going to keep walking at my s- somewhat slow pace. So, now... Now that we're talking, now that I, you're hopefully comfortable with um, epistemic probabilities, I'm going to ask you about a, a particular fact. This particular fact is that when C-fibers fire in somebody's brain, they feel pain. That is the fact I want to ask you, what's the epistemic probability of that? Zach, what do you think?
0: So what is the epistemic probability that like when a certain, like when C-fibers fire, like that's going to cause pain? And I'm guessing C-fibers, those are the things that like, are like triggered like when like you have some sort of harmful act uh
1: i'm not actually a neurologist but yes the c fibers are like we verified this through experimentation when c fibers fire people feel pain so actually the ep- it was a trick question the epistemic probability is actually 100 we have verified this through experimentation so I'm, uh, okay. i gave you a bit of a, a trick question but wow. my, my, my the, the actual question i should have asked is prior to experimentation what should have the epistemic STEMIC probability B. So like before anyone did any neuroscience, uh, before anyone ever opened up a brain, if you showed them a picture of a C fiber and asked them, hey, what's the probability that this is, con- like when this thing fires, you'll have the phenomenal experience of pain. What probability should be assigned to that? Now, I, I want, want to clarify something. Uh, some people take pain to mean like a certain behavior, like avoidance behavior. That's not what I mean by pain here. By pain, I mean like the phenomenal experience, um, the first-person subjective experience, or the qualia. Um, that, the, uh, that That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That the physical thing of C-fibers here would be connected with the mental thing of pain. Okay, what's, what's the probability of that? Now you might think uh, there's all these different theories out there in the philosophy of mind, like substance dualism, physicalism, identity, their property deals, blah, 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 psychism, idealism, and so on and so forth. So uh, I'm going to have to get into all these theories in the philosophy of mind before I could answer your question squared. You, that's what you might be thinking. Zach, are you thinking that?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that, like, I'm thinking about C-fibers, and it's like, well, what like how are different theories of the mind and explain like why C fibers cause the
1: explanation of like us having pain. Yes. Now the thing is this, uh, these uh, different theories of the mind don't actually a- affect the answer to my question at all. If um, you have a physicalist, a uh, substance dualist and an idealist all in a room, like uh, people with radically different theories of how the physical world interacts with the mental world. Like one person thinks we have souls. Another person thinks that we're just physical bodies. Another person thinks that everything is consciousness and blah, 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 blah. Whatever view they hold, that won't actually help them to realize that C fibers are connected with pain. Like it won't. They can't just sit on an armchair and reason, well, you know, everything is fundamentally consciousness. Therefore, um, a nerve with this particular molecular structure is going to be connected with pain. No, they can't reason like that. Um, A physicalist can't reason like that. A substance dualist can't reason like that. Nothing would really tell them in their philosophy of mind theory about, um, or it wouldn't tell them anything that would uh, lead them to believe that C fibers are connected with pain rather than some other experience, like say pleasure, like to actually figure out what C uh, C fibers firing makes you experience. You would actually have to like go out and do an experiment to figure that out. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? So it turns out your your uh, theory, like, whatever view you hold in the philosophy of mind is pretty much irrelevant to this argument, which is huge. Like, this argument has so few commitments. So does that make sense?
0: Yeah, maybe. Do you want to explain oh. a little bit more? Because I think one barrier here um, is that people, like, uh, I think about, like, people that aren't Christian, like, maybe, like, the atheist listeners um, who lean to some sort of, like, physicalism um we're gonna say like well let's look at the case of like the pain like causing like the main the, like the brain state of like feeling pain like you stub yeah. your toe um that's harmful for you it's like of course then that would cause like some sort of state of like you feeling pain because you don't want you want to avoid that behavior like why is that not a problem for this argument to just like agree with everything that you're saying that the physicalist would say there
1: so i think uh the the so where do i want to take this So first off, um, one thing I want to clarify that I don't think I made very clear is that we're talking about the probability that uh, C fibers are connected with pain rather than any other mental experience like pleasure or the taste of cherries or the smell of sodas. So that's one thing I want to clarify. The other thing is that um, I want to focus on the specific physical structure of C fibers. And I want to talk about the probability that an agent would assign to it prior to actually seeing that when you, um, uh, when the C fibers fire, you feel pain. Uh, you might think of the, uh, we want to make the a priori assessment of this. So we haven't actually done any experiment. Like we're thinking before we've done actual experiments to show that when you stub your toe and damage your body and you've, um, and c fibers fire you feel pain no we're just talking about uh before we've seen any of that we're just like sitting on our armchair reasoning about philosophy and then somebody shows us a picture of a c fiber and says hey what does uh what experience is associated with this now that question won't be affected by your uh, philosophy of mind like there's nothing um in physicalism and nothing that uh, in idealism nothing in any of these theories that say talks about carbon atoms or the structure of nerves or anything like that so no, no um your view in the philosophy of mind won't affect your probability assessment of this fact
0: okay that's helpful We're, you're saying hey let's like let's take a giant step backwards here and yeah. like, just think about the picture of like a c-fiber like just a c-fiber there yes what this is the part- probability that, that c-fiber is going to be affiliated with the mental state of pain
1: yeah, or we could. Uh, we're focusing on C fibers, but yeah, like you could do other things, like a dopamine receptor being experienced, uh, being connected with pleasure or associated with pleasure or whatever one, whatever word you want to use. Uh, just okay. Any physical structure and the associated mental, uh, mental state or um, experience.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's helpful.
1: So, now the. Hold on, I. I have to walk over because I forgot what my next slide is.
0: <laughs> we got to keep all these like clever transitions in mind. So I, I love this walking guy. Um, we can keep the walking <laughs> guy, like, like words to say, as the walking guy keeps walking to the next yeah, slide. I, 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 probably... I love this touch. I love it though. I really do love it.
1: Thank you. I should probably speed him up though. Um. <laughs> oh, shoot. I forgot to. Oh yeah. So here's the, a... The, I, I put, wrote this here, big question. How probable is the, uh, the connection between C fibers like? pain? I forgot I put it on this slide, but yes, this is the uh, big question. Um, now, my little diagram in the left here, uh, I, I put that there because the, um, there's going, the argument's going to work slightly differently if you're an epiphenomenalist, if you think that um, the uh, physical causes the mental but not vice versa. Versus if you're like more of a substance dualist type of view, if you think the physical causes uh, things to happen in the mental world and the mental causes things in the physical world, uh, that that's going to change the the structure of the argument slightly. So keep that in the back of your head. Anyways, on we go with a uh, amazing transition dialogue. <laughs> so... And uh, this is how I think that we could answer the question of what's the probability that C fibers would be connected with pain. Well, we could answer this question roughly in the same way we would answer the digits of PI question. So you might think that, Hey, there are roughly 10 possible digits as far as I could, uh, I'm concerned about what the billionth digit of PI could be, uh, zero through nine. So 10 options, probabilities one in 10. Okay. I think that's a, a reasonable answer. Well, the c fibers as uh, before we actually do any experience or experiments as far as we can tell c fibers could be connected to the experience of pain could be connected to the experience of happiness could be connected to the experience of tasting cherries could be connected to the experience of smelling cheese by the way when i say experience is here i'm using i'm using that in place of the word qualia cuz like in my mind qualia is like one of those um, like overly philosophical terms, like I think most people like think of, use the word experience when philosophers mean qualia, but that that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Anyways,
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the flip side, uh, what the experience of pain could be connected with? Well, there's a lot of f- options for physical things that it could be connected to as well. So like it could be connected to dopamine receptors, it could be connected to um mitochondria or water molecules, I don't know. I mean, before I'm doing any experiments, like we have no reason to rule out these kind of weird answers down here as either. So I think that the probability that C fibers would be connected to specifically pain like this is going to be astronomically low. Each of these lists um, that we have as options for like the connection like, are, are massive lists. They're, uh, on the left here, we have all epistemically possible like physical structures. And on the right here, we have all epistemically possible mental experiences. Having a connection between specifically C-fibers and pain is going to be super duper improbable. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So we're looking at like C-fibers here and we're saying like, just going back to this example, and obviously there's other ones, like you talked about here, like you've done on your slide, like you have dopamine receptors and whatnot, and yep. saying like, well, like C-fibers can be correlated with a lot of things, like pain or happiness or a cherry taste or a cheese smell, yep. or like all these other things, and that's kind of like the phenomena that we're examining here.
1: Yes, like um, there are 10 options for what the billionth of digit of pi could be, so the probability of any one answer is 1 in 10. In roughly the same way, to give a ballpark estimate, the probability that C fibers would be connected with specifically pain, uh, the probability of that is going to be, like, one in the number of total, like, the total number of epistemically possible experiences or quality. Mm -hmm. Like, that's going to be a massive uh, denominator. So, like, the probability is going to be really small. Mm So, moving on. (laughs) Do, 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 do. <laughs> I hope you love the walking animation.
0: I do. I really do. Uh,
1: oh, yes. There's going to be um, a, a further um, something I want to keep. Uh, you, there's going to be another thing I want you to keep in the back of your head. Uh, if you're like um, a substance duelist like me, you might think that uh, there's a second um, question here. So not only do uh, C fibers cause pain, but you might also think that pain like causes avoidance behavior somehow. Um, maybe they, it, I don't know, maybe it causes the C fibers to heat up or get a, a higher voltage or blah, 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 something something physical that actually in your body leads to avoidance behavior. Some physical effect that uh, causes avoidance behavior. Does that make sense? So then you would have like two sets of connections.
0: Okay, so we have the connection of the C fibers are causing the phenomena of pain, yeah. and like that, lonely phenomena like experience pain, that's going to give us like that avoidance behavior of like we don't like that. So,
1: yes, like um, you might think like, hey, uh, you're, um, you're you're doing some dumb game where you're seeing how how long you could hold your hand close to a f- uh, flame. So like, there's some conscious decision here, to choosing to move uh, keep your hand there. And um, you might think that the uh, mental experience of pain is actually like going, causing your behavior of moving away. Eventually um, you might think that uh, an epiphenomenalist, somebody who's like a physicalist or an epiphenomenalist, they won't think that we have this second um, connection here. There's just this uh, the physical things causing the mental experiences of pain. Mm-hmm. So okay. that, that makes sense. Yeah. So
0: you're looking at like two different connections here, like the C fibers, yeah, in like causing the pain, and there's a question there, and then the pain causes the avoidance, and there's there be a question there.
1: Yeah, and like the second one's optional because you might not be an epiphenomenalist. So I want to like emphasize this argument can work pr- pretty much no matter what your views are in the philosophy of mind. So I'm just like saying, hey, you might have the second um, optional set of connections here. You might not. Okay,
0: moving on. Do do do. Quite literally moving on because your guy yes. keeps on moving.
1: So now I want you to consider a weird scenario. So I want you to consider a scenario where um, C fibers are actually connected to pleasure. So whenever you you like stub your toe or something, um, you feel a a jolt of pleasure. And dopamine receptors are actually uh, connected to pain. Um, So whenever you do something that normally give you a dopamine hit, it actually gives you a jolt of pain. If you're an epiphenomenalist, like uh, you, you imagine this scenario, so um, I'm walking along, do to do to do, and I stub my toe and I get a jolt of pleasure. Well, all the physical processes are the same, so I do the exact same thing I uh, as I would if pain was associated with C fibers. I'd you know try and nurse my toe, make sure it's uh, healthy and all that, and try and um, get the well, essentially try to get uh, whatever. Uh, nerves are firing to stop fire because it's very unpleasant. Uh, Except it wouldn't be unpleasant in this scenario. It would be very pleasant. It would be very pleasurable. Mm. I'm worried that I went through that a little fast and it was hard to follow me. Uh, So I think you're
0: just, you're saying like, hey, let's like imagine this weird scenario where you're walking down the street, you stub your toe, um, instead of feeling a lot of pain, you feel a lot of pleasure. Um, Yeah.
1: But uh, if if epiphenomenalism is true, so we're ignoring this optional second um, set of connections here and um, if there's just epiphenomenalism—that that is if the uh, physical world like causes Experiences but the experiences are like a fifth wheel that doesn't interact with the world at all Then after you stub your toe then whether or not uh, C fibers produce pleasure whether they produce pain no matter what they produce the same thing is going to happen. You're, uh, you're going to bend down try and nurse your toe make sure it's not broken and all that sort of things and whether or not it caused pain or it caused pleasure because, you know, same things are happening physically. Your brain is being completely run by physical processes. Your body is being completely run by physical processes. So the physical world is going to look the same. And, you know, this, ex, this is kind of weird, right? Because the, um, there's a total mismatch of what's going on in your mind and what's going on in the physical world. But notice, notice this uh, set of connections here, C-fibers being connected to pleasure and dopamine receptors being connected to pain, that's going to be just as probable prior to actually going out into the world and doing experience, uh, mm-hmm. a priori, that, like that is to say a priori, that's going to be just as probable a priori as the normal ones. C-fibers being connected to pain and dopamine receptors being connected to pleasure. They're going to be equally probable. So uh, you might, like, you're, you're already starting to see this problem. Uh, if you're an epiphenomenalist, then the, uh, the fact that we get pain when we uh, damage our bodies is just as likely for us to have gotten pleasure as when we damage our bodies. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: I'm I'm tracking with here, you here. So, like, what you're trying to do in framing the argument is say, like, hey, um, like, start with, like, mere C-fibers or mere dopamine receptors. Like, yeah. uh, a priori, like, we have no reason to think, that like, one would cause pain, one would cause pleasure – um, so we have this big problem of here, like why did C-fibers end up with lining up with pain and why do dopamine receptors like wind up ending up with pleasure, um, when it seems like just epistemically it could have been the other way around.
1: Yeah. And now the, uh, the, uh, naturalist might say, well, hold on, I'm a substance dualist, which they probably wouldn't say because most naturalists are not substance dualists, but maybe they mm-hmm. would, they'd say, hold on, I'm a substance dualist. Now I think that pain causes avoidance behavior and pleasure causes like, I don't know, maybe like rep- repetitive behavior, like some sort of reward like behavior okay and then so i could give a story that evolution would actually select for uh whatever happens to cause pain to be the thing that fires so to speak when i damage my body because evolution would want that because it'd be survival promoting for me to avoid whatever behaviors give me pain so they could get you know something along those lines um but the problem is is that uh there's a priori the probability that pain would be linked to whatever physical effect is correlated with avoidance behavior. The probability of that is going to be really low because there's a lot of things that pain could be connected to. And it seems that pain could just as easily have been, uh, or the, the, um, physical effects that the experiences of pain and pleasure could have, they could just be swapped and that would be equally probable. So the probability that, uh, you would have, um, uh, or sorry, the, uh, substance dualist type, uh, view here. Isn't in any better standing because it's still a really low probability that we would have something that gives us the correct effect. Like, uh, you could, we could run the uh, same thought experiment where you feel pleasure, uh, but the pleasure is linked to avoidance behavior and it, it has some contribution to you, nursing your toe and making sure it's not broken and, um, you, you have, I don't know, a delicious apple, and that gives you a dopamine hit. Again, I'm not a neurologist, so I don't know how accurate the neurology is. Um, that gives you a dopamine hit, and that gives you lots of pain, and you're like, ah, oh, I want to do this again, and you, you eat more tasty apples, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So the there is, a priori, there's going to be um, this what I have these two scenarios that are going to be um, – equally probable, before doing experimentation, whether you're a physicalist or whether you're a dualist, where you have uh, some behavior that um, is completely wrong mentally, but physically is going to be exactly the same, so from an evolutionary standpoint, or whatever standpoint you want to give it, it's not going... It's uh, There's no reason why we should expect one rather than the other. Does that make sense? You're tracking with me. Yeah, we- like
0: we're kind of going into this idea that like there's no reason that like C fibers should line up with like pain compared to like pleasure or like smell or something like that.
1: Yes, um, the the experiences being something that makes sense is going to be just as probable as the experiences uh, being something that doesn't make sense a priori. So now we're going to um, generalize the argument because we were just talking about. Um, C-fibers and dopamine receptors and pain and pleasure. But like, you know, our brains happen to have a couple more things in there than that. So let's generalize this argument to all connections between all epistemically possible physical structures and all epistemically, epistemically possible experiences. Oh, what a mouthful. Hmm. So you see all over here um, in the top left, we have what represents our normal um or the actual psychophysical laws that we actually have and over here in the top right we have another set of psychophysical laws uh that's going to be just as likely as the first one but it leads it's chaotic because all the connections have been switched around and in fact almost every way you could switch around the connections is going to lead to something chaotic that doesn't um that doesn't give you a coherent mental experience of reality Like, it would just be completely mismatched of what's actually going on around you. Now, um, when Dustin Crummett talks about psychophysical harmony, he lists, like, specific kinds of um, uh, psychophysical harmony, like pain and pleasure being um, correctly associated with each other and semantic um, psychophysical harmony and all these sorts of things. Uh, I think that he's kind of it's kind of a weird way of putting it. It's like you uh it's it's almost as if you like threw a bunch of random graphite onto the paper and it like makes a perfect picture of a Mona Lisa. And you're pointing out like, hey, there are some eyes, and also there's a hairline, and also all this stuff. Like yes, lo, lo, that's all true, but like it's weird that it just made a picture of anything at all that's like coherent and stuff. That's kind of more what you're getting at because you would expect random noise. So what I think that uh, the naturalist should expect, like, if hopefully the analogy is going to make sense, what the naturalist should expect is just completely random noise, like the mental experiences that a naturalist should expect uh, a priori before they do any experiments. And I, I'm using, I guess I have to use experiments really broadly to be, mean any sort of experience of the world at all. What the naturalist should should expect before any experience of the world at all is just going to be some sort of completely chaotic um experience where like it like sea fibers are going to be something random like the smell of grass and then dopamine receptors will be uh the taste of i don't know a, the sour a sour taste and just so on and so forth down the list so that as they just go up they their mind is just pure chaos experientially that's what mm-hmm. the naturalist should expect right
0: so the naturalist I, should expect that like given naturalism like brain states um or like like physical experiences should just like kind of like randomly like line up with like different like causing different mental experiences yeah. and the so, reason that they should expect this is because like just given like like a priori there's no reason that like one physical state should cause some specific mental state
1: yeah like when, when you sit and th- think about this it's kind of weird because we're reasoning about literally the most um, obvious facts that we have ever come in contact with, like, namely, we just have a coherent experience of reality. We don't have static, like, our experiences aren't just static noise. Yeah. Um, but like, that's actually super surprising since we have like the, uh, these experiences are being given to us via brain, and like uh, that's going to be translated through these psychophysical laws. By the way, I haven't actually defined a psychophysical law yet. The psychophysical law. Just would be something like, "Hey, when uh, C fibers fire, you experience pain." That's what a psychophysical law would be. Anyways, so now I want to talk about the strength of the argument. That's that's what this thing th- this thing here is, um, because every dot is going to represent like one set of psychophysical laws. Um, the the picture I hear of on the left as like the physical world being inputs and the mental world being outputs. Um, every um, dot represents a way of like drawing out the arrows to connect the, um, the physical, the, uh, inputs to the outputs. And, uh, I think a a good estimate of how many dots there are is going to be two to the power of Uh, B, which means like the number of brain states. I I used to uh, refer to them as brain states. I I started calling them physical structures. Anyways, that's why it's uh, B here in this presentation. Two times B, the number of physical brain states, physical structures, times the number of mental states or experiences or Um, qualia. The way I derive this figure is that the number of relations between two sets, A and B, uh, is going to be two to the power of A times B. So that, that's kind of where where I pulled this figure from. And that's going to be a massive figure. Actually, B is itself just insanely massive. The number of epistemically possible brain states. So that's like physical structures that prior to experimentation could conceivably be uh, the thing in a brain giving experiences before we actually like look into the world and see what's actually uh, parts of brains and giving us experiences. So this would include, I, um, like physical structures that don't even obey our laws of physics. So like that would be a massive number. Um, and mental states, uh, that, that's like all experiences that could conceivably be had by a creature. Like we, uh, as humans have like insanely wide range and variety of experiences each of which is completely unlike any other experience. Like our uh, smell is completely unlike color and color is completely unlike taste. And we have just so many experiences like this, like this. Um, but like, we're just humans, presumably other creatures like bats or fish or so on and so forth. They have other senses and other completely different kinds of experiences than we do. Like the number of epistemically possible mental experiences is going to be huge. So like the number of epistemically possible sets of psychophysical laws is going to be insanely huge. So the probability of getting, um, uh, one that is going, that, uh, actually has a sort of harmony between it or, or, or sorry, a harmony between the physical and the mental is, is going to be, well, the, um the number of se- uh, epistemically possible sets of psychophysical laws um, where harmony occurs divided by this massive number. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think I'm tracking with you. So the fo- we're, so the, you're looking at like brain oh. states okay well, can, so I, looking sorry,
1: can I interject real quick? Mm, yeah, go ahead. So say like you had uh, some red jelly beans in a jar and you want to talk about like what's the probability that I get a red jelly bean? Well, it's uh, the number of red jelly beans divided by the number of other jelly beans, right? So, or sorry, not not the number of other jelly beans. It's the number of red jelly beans divided by the total number of jelly beans. So if uh, there's like a thousand jelly beans and 10 are red, then the probability of getting a red jelly bean is one in a hundred. So what I'm trying to do here is tell you how many jelly beans are. It's this number here, two to the power of b times n. It's, um, It's a huge, huge number. So... Um, unless that numerator is going to be uh, insanely huge as well, then the probability that we would get this sort of psychophysical harmony between physical and mental um, states is going to be insanely low. But as we showed just from the simple thought experiment with stubbing the toe, like it's actually super fragile. Psychophysical harmony is insanely fragile. If we uh, swapped out uh, the um, experiences of just a couple physical states, it would it com- kind of completely destroy a coherent experience of reality. So it's actually going to be a tiny number divided by this insanely massive number. Is that, sorry, makes yeah. sense?
0: Yeah, because you're what you're trying to do is like look at like all the different like brain states that are possible and then timesing that by like all the possible mental states that can be correlated with all those like physical states.
1: Oh, sorry, Uh, the, the I hope this diagram illustrates like what I'm um, talking about is the number of ways of correlating physical with mental. So okay. the number of different like combinations of arrows. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly arrows because you know presumably um, one uh, physical state might correspond to a bunch of different mental states or yeah. uh, no mental states. So uh, I have to tweak the math to reflect that. But that's how I get this number here. Does that make sense now?
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense.
1: Cool. So that that's uh, that's we're almost done the argument. So the probability that you would get the um, uh, psychophysical harmony that you'd get like a coherent experience of the world at all, given naturalism, is going to be roughly one divided by two to the power of B times M. Um, Now it's not actually going to be one divide by that number. It's going to be, it might be actually a relatively large number. Like maybe they're like a, a Google, um, different, uh, set of, uh, Google, different set, um, psychophysical laws. If I can speak, hold on a Google, <laughs> the, the number of the possible psychophysical laws that produce psychophysical harmony might be a Google. And so insanely big, but we're dividing it by something that's insanely massive uh, compared to that. So like we're dividing it by, say, a Googleplex. So the numerator doesn't really matter. We could basically just ignore it. Like it's still going to be like 0.99999999 times a Google plex. it's it's it doesn't really affect it much. We could practically ignore the numerator, right? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. so you just you're just saying that, like, one over something is going to give you like this, like really, really, really small number. Um, Yeah.
1: Let me, uh, here's another analogy I came up with when I was um, discussing this um, with somebody else. Uh, Let's say you have monkeys at a typewriter um, and you want to like just generating random text, and you want to talk about the probability that they would come up with a work of Shakespeare or like, or not, maybe not a work of Shakespeare, just some something coherent, something readable. And you'd be like, well, the letters are coming at random, so it'd be like one in the poss- the number of different combinations of letters. So there are 26 letters, so one in 26 to the length, to the power of the length of the book that they're writing. So that, that's roughly an estimate on how probable it is that we, these monkeys at the typewriters would produce a coherent book. And you might counter that by saying, well, it's not one in that because there's like so many different uh, books of that length. Let's say it's um, 10,000 letters long. I don't know how how many pages that would be, but like it's a 10,000 letter long book. Um, It's not going to be one in 26 to the power of 10,000. It's going to be like a huge number of books divided by 26 to the 10,000. It's like, okay, fine but the denominator there, 26 to the 10,000 is just going to eat up that numerator so much that it might as well be one in 26 to the 10,000. Does that make sense? Um, can you repeat that one more time? Okay. So basically psychophysical laws, um, it's going to be super improbable that we get ones that uh, make sense. Um, Yeah. It's roughly one divided by the number of total psychophysical laws that we could get. Um, and now you might say, hold on, the numerator there's not going to be one. It's going to be much bigger. Uh, that's analogous to, hey, say I have a um, uh, monkey's at a typewriter typing out a bunch of um, uh, uh, like 10,000 letters. And I want to know what's the probability that they would write a coherent story. And I say, well, they'd have to get every letter correct. And that's, so that's one in 26 to the power of 10,000. So really small. You might object, well, no, it's not 1 in 26 to the power of 10,000 because it's not just one story that they might be able to write. There might be like billions of stories that they could write that we would all deem coherent. Okay, so it's several billion divided by 26 to the power of 10,000. It's still roughly the same number. It's going to be like within, like, as far as we're concerned, it's going to be the same thing, really, really small. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. That makes
1: sense. This is okay. I'm worried. Okay. We should probably move on because this is a really esoteric point that I'm spending Mm -hmm. a lot of time on. Basically, basically what I'm saying is like the probability of getting the specific digit of pi, say four, is going to be one divided by 10 because there are 10 different uh, possible digits um, as far as we can see. And the probability of getting psychophysical harmony is going to be like basically. If you're a naturalist, the probability you should assign to getting a non-chaotic experience of reality is going to be one divided by the total number of different ways of matching up brain states to physical or brain states to mental states, physical states to mental states, and that's going to be one in two to the power of the number of brain states times the number of mental states. And it's going to be the denominator here is insanely huge, and mm-hmm. so one divided by that insanely huge denominator is basically zero. It, it's it might as well be zero. I I don't usually say that because, well, no, even if it's one in a million, that is actually like a a number worth taking seriously. This isn't worth taking seriously. It's basically zero. Um, Now, on theism, okay, I I can't just say like, hey, this is a, um, a prediction that theism, or sorry, I can't just say that, hey, naturalism fails to predict this. I have to say naturalism fails to predict this, but theism correctly predicts this. So how would I say, hey, theism correctly predicts this? Well, on theism, the probability that you would get um, psychophysical harmony is going to be super-duper high. Why is it going to be super-duper high? Well, because um, on theism, God would want to give us psychophysical harmony. Uh, psychophysical harmony is a good thing, the, the ability to have a coherent experience of reality. Not only that, is that, it seems to be like a prerequisite for almost any good a creature can experience like if I want to have a true loving relationship or if I want to have knowledge or yada, 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 if I want to have any of these goods, I mean, I need a coherent experience of reality. I need to like, um, be able to call memories to mind that make sense. And I need to be able to like, uh, have a, um, like a visual perception that is coherent to be able to see my friends and loved ones and so on and so forth. Like if we had, um, just a, incoherence noise as our experiences we could have barely any goods that are attainable by creatures so like it's very very high given like the probability is very very high given theism that we would have psychophysical harmony so now if what this means is that uh, theism does very well in predicting what we see that we have uh like the um grabbing a jelly bean from a huge pot of jelly beans, that analogy doesn't work because basically on theism you have an agent who's like trying to find a red jelly bean. Um, naturalism, yeah. the jelly beans just being picked at random. So the probability of it getting of it being red is uh super duper improbable. And because mm-hmm. the stat is insanely big, like the fact that we actually have a red jelly bean is um very very large evidence for theism and against naturalism. So,
0: okay, yeah. yeah, I think that's pretty clear.
1: Yep, that's the that's the gist of the argument. And now I have I have this thing over here that says what is the second word? Suspense. The end. Oh, oh, it says the end. There we go. That is the end of this argument. Yes. So, ta da. Woo, we did it. uh, Now, Zach, you you felt like you didn't have a solid grasp of the argument beforehand. Where do you think your grasp of it is now?
0: I think it's better. Um, It was helpful looking at, like, when you talked about the distinction between, like, brain states and mental states and looking at, like, what is, like, a physical harmony all about. Mm. And what you're trying to say is, like, we're looking at it and saying like hey we have the existence of like these brain states here um and we also have the existence of these mental states and it's like why on earth are these brain states lined up with the mental states and like yeah. that's the big mystery that's like a physical harmony this argument's trying to explain and saying like hey theism is gonna do a lot better job um than atheism yes or naturalism
1: yeah and uh the, this it doesn't work as well against like uh, theism adjacent hypotheses like um Basically, this argument uh, works uh, for anything that's like theism, and it works really poorly for anything that's like naturalism. So um, there have been uh, some prominent, uh, I'd call them naturalists, who have uh, changed, like, who have updated their worldviews based on this argument, like Emerson Green and Philip Goff, or is it Goth? I can't remember. Anyways, yeah uh they they've like um included in their worldview um something like theism um like um maybe there's just a fundamental tendency towards the good like remember theism managed to uh handle this data really well because god wants to bring about good things and psychophysical harmony is a good thing so that's why theism predicts uh this data very well well, the naturalist might want to just like add in that um, there's a tendency towards the good that isn't God. It's not God, but it, but it is the tendency towards the good somehow, mm-hmm. in, in some way. So that, that might be how, you know, a naturalist would deal with this argument, you know, which is a step in the right direction. But like having a sort of like indifference towards psychophysical laws in your worldview is just, you know, um, I, I I don't see how you could have that.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I'd love to get through a couple things I was thinking about, Squared, and, like, you're by no means, like, the poster boy for this argument, but I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on them. Um, And Uh, one thing that I kind of thought about was, like, one of the things, like, it seemed to me the argument assumes is, like, almost like like, there's this realm of, like, physical, like, states, um, like, looking at, like, brain states, um, like, and, like, C-fibers and all these things. And then there's also this realm of like mental states, like pain and pleasure and happiness and sadness. Um,
1: and, and I'm what if someone. Those realms, right?
0: Yeah. So, and like, what if someone's like, hey, like, well, why think this mental realm exists in the first place? Like, just taking a step right. back here, like, why think all these things just <laughs> exist in some sense and are waiting to be correlated with some brain states by like these magical pixie does wielding psychophysical laws?
1: Yes. This is why I love the argument so much. It doesn't have to exist. There could mental reality, like, sorry, mental experiences don't have to exist. Qualia don't have to exist. This argument still goes through. Um, Why? Well, okay. Um, Because there is, in some sense, there is pain that we conceptualize differently from C fibers, right? Our understanding of C fibers and our understanding of pain is different, right? And like, I, I mean, obviously that's true because uh, there's a t- like we all uh, know what pain is without studying neuroscience, but we have to like actually study neuroscience to understand what C fibers are. So like they're conceptually different, right?
0: hmm Like pain and uh, C fibers are conceptually different. Okay,
1: yeah, I uh, yeah, fair. Okay, so uh, that's all that we really need to have like uh, to be able to like start to judge epistemic probabilities. Like the um, like what's the epistemic probability uh, that water is H2O? I'm going to return to that one. Water is H2O. They're not any different. Like, there isn't a realm of molecules and a realm of substances, and water inhabits the realm of substances and molecules inhabit, or H2O inhabits the realm of molecules, and the, they just happen to be connected between these two bulbs. No, they're the same thing. They're just the same thing. But we could still do epistemic probability about, like, we could still assign epistemic probabilities to this fact. So when we talk about, like, what's the probability that C fibers are pain? They don't have to be different. They could, um, they could be literally the same thing conceptualized two different ways. We could still do all the same probabilistic reasoning in this argument. It doesn't change a thing. So, like, this argument assumes so very little about the uh, philosophy of mind. It's just like baseline, just dis- like very basic observations. Like, hey, stuffing my toe hurts, and hey, I have a coherent experience of reality. It doesn't need much more than that.
0: Do you think that, like, the argument for psychophysical harmony, do you think that there's, like, the possibility of, like, wondering, like, why think that... So, obviously, like, in this world we live in, like, C-fibers cause pain uh, Mm -hmm. or, like, are correlated with pain. But I'm wondering, like, what if someone would say that, like, maybe in a different world, like, C maybe something else like what was the see i'm not a neuro person at all what was the thing that you talked about that causes um um so something causes dopamine states cause
1: pleasure right yeah so what if dopamine dopamine... equals pleasure yeah let's just go with that so there's an infection in my
0: mind here and it's like what if in a different world like dopamine causes pain and then that's like but that's what we want dope like in in that world like when you stub your toe Dopamine's triggered, which causes pain, and like that's what you'd want if, like, you say you were someone trying to explain it naturalistically.
1: Well, okay, so in that world, dopamine causes pain. Is it what I mean? Like, the way I conceptualize pain is by like equality by an experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, by that conceptualization, I don't think like by definition you could want that, right? Does that make sense? The first person experience of pain, I can't imagine wanting that. It's it's a bad thing. It's just intrinsically bad to feel.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I think I agree with you there. I'm just thinking like, are these like like dopamine and C fibers like these are like these physical structures? Um, yep. but like, what if these physical structures caused like, or maybe like, maybe I'm thinking like, C- the argument assumes that like C fibers are always like, going to be like the things that are triggered because of pain. But what if dopamine was triggered because of something like? Oh, like what we if we tell. evolved?
1: If what if we evolved differently? Yeah, I think. Uh, I so. th- I think that makes the argument stronger because not only do like the psychophysical laws have to go a certain way for, our, uh, our, uh, for us to have like a coherent experience of the world, but now our evolution has to go the right way. Now, like, um, oh, by the way, I've been focusing on like, um, sorry, this is a random note because uh, I've been focusing on like small structures like C fibers and dopamine uh, receptors and stuff like that. But you could also do it on like a macroscopic scale of like um entire brain states like how your entire brain looks at a given moment and that if you run the argument that way it gets around worries of like functionalism and stuff sorry i forgot to mention that earlier just throwing that in there right now Uh, what was the question again (laughs) Uh, see the
0: problem is i don't i can't word this like cogently because i'm just like thinking about this as well squared this is a weird
1: argument and like it gets you to think about things that we don't have good vocabulary for
0: exactly um, so I guess the best thing I can do is kind of like sketch a scenario. Like say that yeah. you're walking down the street and this is a different like world. We have all not
1: humans. These are like zoom ins, zoom
0: and zoom Joe stubs his toe. And when he yep. stubs his toe, um, dopamine triggered and this dopamine causes the sensation of pain, which then causes so like, that's a the psych-
1: so that's the psychophysical laws there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so in this world, the physical evolution is different and the psychophysical laws are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So Zoom, Zoom, and Joe jo can reason. Hey, what's the probability that I would get psychophysical laws that would correlate dopamine to pain? Huh? That would be pretty low. In fact, insanely low. Now that I think about it. And so there must be a God. He could run the same argument.
0: Mm-hmm. Does that <laughs> answer your question. No, that's fair. That's that's, okay. that's a great way of thinking about that. Yeah, I think that, I think that's fair.
1: Okay. There are yeah. some other. I could run into in, like the main objections if you yeah want. let's do that. Get okay, the main one. Everyone brings it up. Evolution, uh, it doesn't work. If it, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you think that um, there I, I I my script like I'm working on a video for it, and I said uh, in my original uh, draft of it, I had something like if you think that this objection makes sense, I, I guess you should just rewatch the video up to this point. <laughs> Uh, but, but, but that, that's not the tone I want like that might sound rude I don't I don't want to come across as rude that's not the tone I want to give but this objection it doesn't really like get at the argument the entire thing is that the, um, the physical world doesn't impact the mental world it basically says hey um, there's this sort of disconnect between what the physical is going to look like and what the mental is going to look like through so um, evolution that only touches what the physical world's going to look like evolution it, like if we think of it as like the guiding force to anthropomorphize evolution, it, it, it only has its hand in the physical world. It doesn't have its hand in the mental world. And what effects uh, f- the physical world has on the mental world, that's only going to be mediated by these like layers of arrows, right? And these uh, psychophysical laws. So evolution cannot actually produce psychophysical harmony. It's impotent to do so.
0: So evolution, like you're going to say then like, it's not really going to like do any work for you because there's no design in evolution towards psychophysical like, harmony. It's more like right. focused on like the physical development.
1: Yeah. Like, so evolution might be um, geared towards C fibers, but C fibers aren't geared towards like C fibers don't produce pain without psychophysical loss. Uh, evolution might be um, geared towards dopamine receptors when you're in a, um, a reward state. Um Okay, but the psychophysical laws determine that uh, produces pleasure. So like evolution uh, can only control these irrelevant aspects, or maybe I should say aspects that are only relevant if we get lucky with the psychophysical laws.
0: Mm. So what if like, I'm thinking about evolution here. Um, and wait, so like, say you have some sort of scenario where like someone's being like mauled by a tiger. Um, in one world, the C fibers cause pain and it's gonna cause avoidance, but like, obviously, they want to escape the tiger. But wouldn't, couldn't you say like in a different world that they, um, the C fibers cause like the feeling of pleasure and the person just like lets them get mauled by the tiger because it feels nice? Like, wouldn't there be some sort of evolutionary advantage for like your? Mental states being like line, like correlated with like the feeling of like pain over pleasure in that scenario.
1: So, remember, there are like two rows of arrows. And so, what you are imagining is that the second row of arrows, so to speak, are fixed where pain causes avoidance behavior and pleasure causes like repetition behavior or whatever you want to call it, rewards behavior, Mm -hmm. rewarded behavior. Okay. So, Um, those uh, scenarios are going to be equally likely as to scenarios where we have it inverted, where uh, pain is linked to uh, rewarded behavior and happiness is uh, associated with avoidance behavior. So we uh, could also have a scenario where um, the pain causes you to be like, ah, I want this to happen again. That's what your physical body does whenever it's in pain. So... In that world, if uh, the tiger eats him and he has pain and he's like, ah, I want this to happen. And so it lets the tiger eat him. Well, then that's terrible. Um, actually, in that scenario, evolution would select for uh, you to feel pleasure whenever a tiger eats you so that you're like, ah, I want to run away physically. Does that make sense? Like it still has to be mediated by psychophysical laws. So evolution w- uh, still wouldn't uh, select for one rather than the other.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm tracking with you here. What other like objections do you have that you'd like oh, to talk about?
1: Let me, uh, let me just say one more thing on the last point. Basically you give me some scenario. You tell me what evolution wants from from a, phys, uh, in terms of physical states of affairs, I could give you a bajillion um, different th- sets of psychophysical laws where evolution gets what it's want, what it wants. Uh, but it doesn't get psychophysical harmony. So that's why psychophysical harmony is so hard to get via evolution.
0: Can you repeat that? I'm sorry.
1: Basically, you tell me what evolution wants, what uh, sets of physical affairs evolution is trying to get. I could give you a bajillion and one different psychophysical laws where evolution does get what it wants. It gets like survival-promoting behavior, but we don't have psychophysical harmony going on. And Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's helpful.
1: okay so uh another other objections one is like well hey this is kind of like a fine-tuning argument right so what about a multiverse well a multiverse of psychophysical laws um well, you can't use the we can thought principle on that right like if uh, a what, what like for the um fine-tuning argument the standard one you have like um a billion different universes or in, let's just say infinity different universes each that are all um different in terms of the physical laws governing them and in uh we happen to find ourselves in the uh universes that have uh physical laws cuz that's just the only universes that would have observers. Did I say that right? So that's, that's he, what the find that's the way multiverse works with fine tuning uh the standard exactly. fine tuning argument. Yeah. With psychophysical harmony, let's let's think of a world with um there's like just duplicates of our universe, our physical universe. So the physical laws are the same because this isn't an argument about physics. Um, so all the physical argument or oh, sorry, all the physical laws are exactly the same through, across infinite universes, but the psychophysical laws are different. And you might say same idea in, in that multiverse of psychophysical laws. We'd expect some observers would have like, you know, um, a coherent experience of reality. The problem is is that you can't use the weak anthropic principle. Every other uh, universe in this multiverse also has observers. And they are observing things. It's just their observations are all incoherent noise. So, like, you can't use the multiverse.
0: Yeah, so you can't use the... I, I'm just trying to, like, grasp this because... Um, yeah, so you can't use the multiverse because a lot of people... Why exactly? Sorry, I, I think okay. I'm struggling to grasp this, and I know okay. it's my fault,
1: but yeah. Okay. And um, the, okay, in the fi- fine-tuning with physics case, 100% of the observers in the multiverse are going to observe a fine-tuned universe, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, they they just won't exist in uh, the universes without fine-tuning. With a psychophysical case, um, and like you have a multiverse where uh, the psychophysical laws are different, so in some universes uh C fibers are uh, associated with pleasure others it's the color green others with um pain okay so in this multiverse it's still a small percentage of the observers would actually be experiencing reality coherently you have the vast majority like ninety-nine point nine 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 and a google nines nine percent of them would experience uh, chaos noise so you don't get the same thing in um the multiverse Uh, for the physical case, um, in the physical case, 100% of observers experience something fine-tuned in the psychophysical case, almost 0% of them experience something fine-tuned. So like the multiverse in the psychophysical case doesn't actually, um, uh, avoid fine-tuning.
0: Okay. Actually, that's a lot more helpful. Um, and what well, I mean by that, I, mean I like, I, I, like I, my mind can like make sense of it more. We're yeah. saying like, hey, like in a multiverse, in like a psychophysical argument, you still have most people not experiencing psychophysical harmony. So the argument, yeah. like, there is no psychophysical harmony um, for most observers in that case.
1: Yeah, and it's not, it's not like you're dead if you don't have psychophysical harmony. Like how you you'd be dead if there wasn't physical fine tuning. It's just you would be experiencing chaos. So no, no anthropic principle, Yes woo (laughs) argument argument still works um another objection is that hey basically the um the uh red jelly bean in a vat of uh different colored jelly beans that aren't red that that basically that that sort of um analogy that sort of mental picture that i gave it assumes that um every Jelly bean is equally likely. That's that's sort of what the argument's getting at. That's what the mental picture is kind of getting at. And so, what I'm assuming in this argument is essentially that every set of psychophysical laws has the same epistemic probability. Uh, maybe here's another way of putting it. With the digits of pi case, I assumed that every digit of pi had the same. For being the billionth digit of pi, I assumed every digit was equally likely. Uh, but you can't do that with psychophysical laws. You can't assume that every set of psychophysical laws is equally likely. So um, like simpler uh, sets of psychophysical laws, for example, might be more probable than unsimple sets of psychophysical laws. So then it wouldn't be like, hey, all of them are equally likely. So it's one divided by that uh, two times B, or two to the power of B times N, it's uh, some other number okay mm-hmm. uh, is that, are you tracking with me with the objection yeah.
0: so basically like the objection is like maybe like it's simpler for there just to be harmony versus like disharmony yeah
1: yeah uh, a set of psychophysical laws that simplest might have psychophysical harmony um this is this uh objection i think it's actually funny because it makes the argument stronger so uh mm-hmm. si- simple sets of psychophysical laws uh would look something like hey Um, every physical uh, structure uh, corresponds to the sensation of warm bath water. That's what uh, Dustin Kermit uses. That's a simple law. So it would be like, that's a simple set of laws. So simple sets of laws like that would be given a boost once we consider simplicity. And, but our set of psychophysical laws, as far as we can tell, like we have no sort of understanding of an underlying simplicity to them. Like, C-fibers causing pain, dopamine receptors causing pleasure, so on and so forth. This all seems kind of weird and random. Mm-hmm. Like, not simple. Um, so if you want to give, like, you want to bias the probability that um, in favor of simple sets of psychophysical laws, then what that does is it just makes um, 2 to the power of b times m. That's like uh, the 1 over that number. Uh, one over two to the power of b times that's an upper bound on the probability that we would get
0: <laughs>
1: um psychophysical harmony it just makes it uh it makes the argument stronger once we consider uh like trying to bias certain sets of psychophysical laws. okay uh now the meat and potatoes argument uh, this is this is the the big argument that everybody likes oh before i move on should i ask um does that make sense the sim the simplicity stuff that i was saying
0: yeah, it, it actually makes a lot of sense because you think about our world, um, like this a physical structure where we have all these different like physical sensations, and some of them cause like pain or happiness or joy or da da da. And what you're like, saying is like, hey, it'd be a lot simpler if everything just caused like a like a, like a white, uh, yeah, just, or like everything just caused pain or everything just caused pleasure. Like yeah. these are all simpler views than um, than <laughs> what we experience in our world.
1: Or even something like, hey, uh, negative electric charges cause of uh, Sadness and positive electric charges cause happiness. Like that also be a way pleasure. But like, uh, and that like, but it, it's less simple. Um, but it is still way simpler than ours. And we just go mm-hmm. down the spectrum until we actually get something with roughly the same complexity as our laws. Well, by then we've we've started like penalizing uh, psychophysical laws. Where, like all yeah. the ones we were giving probabilistic boosts are like disharmonious ones. By the time we get to ours which are harmonious like yeah it's uh, penalization in terms of probability okay mm-hmm. so now for the main uh, argument what about god's mind so the basic idea here is like hey uh humans have like these complex laws governing their minds and um we need some way of explaining that well then let's posit a god oh doesn't he have complex laws governing his mind so we're just kicking the can up the road um I think I understand where this argument comes from. Like uh, popularizers of the argument, like Dustin Crummet, um, he has a, uh, to give like an intuitive way of explaining the argument. He says something along the lines of, Hey, is, aren't we lucky that the physical world and the mental world line up in such a for, uh, fortuitous way? And if you hear that st- sentence, you, you could say like, Hey, I could sh- change some words around in it. Um, isn't God's mind lucky that his, Uh, what he tries to do and like what happens in the world line up in a really fortuitous way. So like God tries to create a universe uh, and he has like the mental experience of thinking, I want to create a universe. And then a universe is created. Like there's some psycho divine harmony here. Ooh. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Now the problem is, is that this is just confused. Um, The, at at least in my opinion, uh, the, Argument from Psychophysical Harmony, when Dustin Crummit gives that explanation of like, hey, aren't we lucky? He's like shortening, or you might say like compressing actual Bayesian argument. Like naturalism does not predict this and theism does predict this. Therefore we have evidence for theism rather than naturalism. Okay, so what's the um, argument from Psycho-Divine Harmony as I like to call it, that God's mind has complex laws. What's, what's that supposed to um, be in terms of a Bayesian argument? Well, you could say theism predicts that God's mind would have these laws governing it, that where whatever he tries to do would bring about what he tries. So it predicts like theism predicts psycho divine harmony and naturalism predicts. Well, okay. Naturalism doesn't actually make a prediction about psycho divine harmony because it doesn't include <laughs> a God. So what's the Bayesian argument here? Theism predicts psycho divine harmony. Naturalism doesn't, well, I guess like vacuously predicts that there would be no psycho-divine harmony. There isn't an argument here. Um, However, one person pointed out uh, that you might try and phrase this in terms of, like, lowering the prior probability of theism. Like, hey, if you wanted to define God, you'd have to define a being who has um, psycho-divine harmony. And, like, that would be a really complex hypothesis. So positing God would be, like, relatively improbable. And so it's not a good explanation of psychophysical harmony. Does that make sense?
0: So you're saying like, the, it, it seems more complex to think God would be psych, like psychophysically disharmonious than like, mm, oh, like sorry. harmonious.
1: Uh, you could, the idea is that um, the prior probability of theism is going to be really small because it has, uh, you have to like basically encode into it the laws that govern God's mind. And because of that, um, it's going to be a really improbable theory. And that's why uh, you can't, um, or that's why theism doesn't, or the argument from psychophysical harmony doesn't help theism out.
0: Okay. So it's, it's more about yeah. like... That's, that my
1: mo- oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. that's my most no, charitable way of interpreting the argument. I think that's the best way you could run the argument from psycho-divine harmony. Because just saying like, well, isn't God lucky... Uh, that um his mind has harmony in it that doesn't actually like give an argument that's not a bayesian argument like yes my my worldview theism indeed predicts that god would have a har- a harmonious mind and your worldview doesn't make predictions about that because of your worldview doesn't have a god so what is the actual data that we're supposed to be updating on like the data with psychophysical harmony argument is that hey my experience of reality is coherent Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's the data that your argument is supposed to be updating on? And okay. So uh, because the, because that's hard to make sense of, I think the best way to make sense of it is, hey, the prior probability of theism is low because you have to build in the laws that govern God's mind.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that's helpful. Um, do you anymore, I have one more thing I want to ask I you. Don't that, I don't have to
1: respond to that argument. I haven't actually responded to the objection yet.
0: <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'm like losing it. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, so the first thing is that on um, lots of views of theism that I don't like particularly, but they're out there, uh, God isn't a mind or doesn't have a mind or isn't, like, any anywhere n- near a mind. Like, uh, classical theism, divine simplicity, some views of that will, like, have God being nothing like a mind. And so then there aren't laws governing God's mind and experiences and stuff because he doesn't have one. And I don't like those views of theism, but, if, like, if uh, they're the... The only way to escape this objection, I'd, I'd be fine with that, okay? It's a, it's a, a, a view of God that I uh, don't like as much, a theology I don't like as much, but I'm eh, fine. That's what th- uh, this argument proves, I'll go with it. Except the ar- this argument doesn't prove that because uh, the laws that govern God's mind are actually going to be really simple. It's th- going to be hmm. things like, hey, if God intends something, that thing happens. If something is true, then God believes it. If something is good, then God desires it. Like, that's going to be, like, those three laws are going to be all that you really need to uh, completely describe the laws that govern God's mind, as far as I can tell. So, yeah, I think this objection is... Oh, yeah, and I also think that you could... Like, this is the real problem I have with this argument, though. It's like, I think that you can define theism as a per- like something like a perfect being or an axiological apex, something like that, and then the fact that this being would have harmony in its mind just follows from that. You could just draw mm-hmm. that out. So it doesn't actually, you don't have to build it into your theory. The fact that God has a harmonious mind would just fall out of your theory. So, yeah, those are, like, the three problems I have with that argument. But that's, uh, looking in the comment section, people who seem to have at least, like, somewhat of a grasp of the argument, this seems to be the biggest uh, hang-up for them. So, I hope, like, I want it to die. Because, like, it it, it, it seems just confused in my mind and in yeah. its best form it's just a really weak objection
0: that's kind of what i think and it seems like to me when i think about this argument squared and like this counter argument being raised like i kind of like go with where you're at with like god being a perfect being because i think that like if you like you have god as a perfect being would make sense that like a like physical states like he would be harmonious because that it is perfect that comes from the nature of a perfect being um yeah. So it, it just makes sense to me, like the God that God's states would be harmonious, and like what. Also, I'm kind of wondering, like, if the sake of physical harmony, harmony arguments, kind of how like physical states line up with like successful mental states. But, like, I don't know if we have to have that distinction within God, a physical and mental, because obviously God's not a physical being. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I it don't know. Be, I find it of super convincing.
1: It might be like like uh, God's mental states have to be like harmonious w- within themselves, like. God can't think like, Hey, I desire creating creatures. So I'm going to kill them all. Like you can't have like um, irrational mental, like connections between mental states like that, when he says I'm or what, or, or, sorry, when he thinks I desire creatures that should be followed by something like I'm going to create creatures or I'm going to promote their flourishing. Like, yeah. As, so that, that might be it, but like, Okay. Yeah, I could I could get to that. You'd have those harmonious connections from the tenets of my theory. And even if I couldn't, if I had to build them in, it would be really easy to build them in because the laws would be pretty simple. And even if I couldn't do any of that, I could just go with a view of theism where uh, God isn't a mind and boom, I still can avoid this objection. So I think this objection fails on multiple fronts.
0: Yeah, that's super helpful. So thanks for that. Squared. Any other objections you want to cover here? I have one more thing I want to ask you, but I can wait till we get through your
1: stuff. Uh, no, those are all the big ones. Yep.
0: So one thing that I just want to cover, and I know we've kind of talked about this, but this is kind of what's been on my mind thinking about this, is like, just going back to this, like, why can't something like identity theory, like, explain Psychophysical Harmony? So if you're thinking to someone that's maybe like a good old like fashion physicalist, and they're going to say like, like your physical, like your physical brain state of like pain is just your mental state. Um, like what's the problem for them with explaining
1: psychophysical like harmony? Uh, okay. Here's a, uh, I think a good way to think about this. All I need for this argument to work is the ability to think about um, psychophysical laws probabilistically. And that can happen even if the things I'm talking about are identical. That's why I keep going back to water is H2O. Um, the water and H2O can be identical, but I could still think about their identity probabilistically. So identity doesn't uh, stop me from uh, being able to think about things probabilistically. And thinking about things probabilistically is all I need for the argument. So even if you're an identity theorist, physicalist, all the way, the argument still works. The, no premise would be objected to by um, assuming so, some sort of physicalism or identity theory.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think that like thinking like, about it, like the identity theorist could like would say like, well, maybe that like still like that brain state, like you have like that neuron, which causes your feet like that brain state, um, where like you step your toe, maybe that like it's identical with your feeling of like happiness. It's like that, that there is yeah. still like, that's like a physical harmony problem, even for the identity theorist.
1: Yeah. A priori prior to experimentation, water being H2O or maybe just HO, uh, hydrogen monoxide, um, Uh, those would be like probably roughly equal before you like actually like split up uh, water into hydrogen and oxygen, even though water is H2O and then like a priori C fibers being identical to pain and C fibers being identical to pleasure. Those would be roughly equally probable before you actually like, you know, like observe the world around you.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well squared. I think that's super helpful. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to cover here? I really appreciate your time and that amazing animation you put together. Um, yeah, I feel like I actually have a lot more clarity about this argument now. So this has been this has been huge.
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing is that like, um, <laughs> in apologetics, there's some, a curve that's kind of like the Dunning Kruger curve, where it's like you start to get into apologetics, and like when you're a little bit into apologetics, you like wow, the case for Christianity is amazing and nobody could ever rationally be a non-Christian because like the arguments are just so overwhelming and stuff. And then you realize like, oh, hey, wait, no, there's actually objections to these arguments and these issues are all really complicated. And you're like, oh, no. Is, is my life a lie, basically? And then yeah. you, like, at, at least in my experience, you find that you dig in and it's like, okay, these arguments have, like, something going for them. Um, there was, there was, like, a truth to, like, my initial impressions that these arguments were super strong. But then, I <laughs> I find that once you get to psychophysical harmony, there's also just, like, a giant spike upwards, because this argument is just, just so, so super powerful. <laughs> and, yeah. like, I need... De- <laughs> I want this argument to get more uh, popular because, like, if if that's wrong, I want to know it. If it's right, then I want mm-hmm. everyone to know. Um, yeah. Uh, another thing is, oh, electrons in love. Uh, I was I, I mentioned that at the beginning, so I should probably bring some closure to that point. Um, basically, go. Let us imagine like a fine. T- let, let's think about the fine tuning argument. Um, the idea is like God would want to make a universe like this one that's fine-tuned uh, for life. That's basically what the fine-tuning argument is getting in, so it gets all the constants uh, and the right values so that um, uh, creatures like us can emerge. Well, if the psychophysical laws were different um, so that brains like ours don't actually produce mental experiences or they produce just garbage mental experiences, then f- fine-tuning a world like ours wouldn't be valuable for God at all, right? Like, if the psychophysical laws... Um, weren't fortuitous for creatures like us. Does that make sense?
0: Sorry, repeat that. I was like taking a sip of water and I I was like tracking with you and then I lost my train of thought for a sec. (laughs) That's,
1: yeah. So imagine the psychophysical laws were some way such that uh, this universe, uh, our universe didn't produce conscious uh, creatures at all. Like we're just walking around without any conscious experiences or Mm, conscious experiences are just garbage and all that. Um, psychophysical laws like that would mean that God would have no reason to create our universe, right? Yeah. So then, okay, if uh, that, that that's true, then what, whether or not God would create a given universe is dependent on what psychophysical laws are true. So then, the fine-tuning argument, you can't actually run it. I can't say like, oh, the probability that God would create a fine-tuned universe like ours is high because I need to first like factor in that we have uh, psychophysical laws that make universes like ours probable. Mm, so yeah. I, I, I basically, if I want to run an argument uh, that um, considers psychophysical laws, then I can't really run an argument from fine tuning. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. The objection from electrons in love is basically just the last part. You can't run an argument from fine tuning. <laughs> uh, but it, like I'm like, well, yes, but like also. You, you, you killed the fine-tuning argument, but like a phoenix uh, rebirthing, except way more fiery and mm-hmm. powerful this time, you get the argument from Psychophysical Harmony. Yeah. Yeah, there okay, we go. Okay, yeah. Poetic that makes phoenix.
0: That makes sense, and I appreciate this, squared. I think you've done a great job of breaking down, like, difficult concepts um, and, like, really slowing it down. Um, so I'd encourage people, like, go back and, like, re-listen to parts if you need to, because that might be super helpful for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah that's that anything else square before we wrap up here
1: yes uh I, if if you're not getting something ask me in the comments i'll try and respond because yeah i want to get this this argument out there tell the world yeah yeah
0: i think you're right it's kind of like the denning Kruger effect like we're on here and like we're launching it and we're launching up the hill as like we got it it's a debate <laughs> over and the question is is there something out there that's gonna bring it all crashing down and then they're gonna be able to build it back up yeah. or like where are we? And that's part yeah. of the, ex- the exciting part of this is just like we're like exploring this. So, yeah, yeah. or
1: maybe we just proved theism in this video. Boom! Yeah, the mediocre. <laughs> I I like need like
0: a really like clickbaity thumbnail to try to get like as much objections as yes. possible. Atheism
1: um, destroyed. And then like I don't know.
0: Yeah, actually, maybe something like that because yeah. I mean, and then
1: Mad- Madzilla Huntie crying in the corner, something like that. There we go. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> like that.
0: So. Well, Squared, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'll put a link to how people can follow you and connect with you. And, yeah, nice. that's that. Thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate you and your work and taking this time.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, Thanks for having me on. Have a good one.
0: All right, have a good one, everyone, and God bless. We'll catch you next time. Um, be sure to follow Squared. And if you like us and want to follow us, uh, be sure to subscribe to Hidden Apologetics, all that fun stuff. And if you value what we do, uh, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. So, that's Apologetics. All right, have a good one, and God bless everyone.